Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. Through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, if you do have a Bible handy, if you've got one open, please do keep it open on that page. Um, as always, it's fine to just follow along. But if you're interested in, in looking at what we're looking at, today is, as you may have realised as Steve was reading it, a more complicated passage than sometimes. So it might be a good week to uh, follow along with me. Um, let me pray, and then we'll have a look at this bit of God's Word together. Father God, this is not a simple uh, part of your word for us to understand, um, but as always, there is rich truth here, um, truth that applies to our lives, um, truth that can encourage us, truth that we need to know. And so, Father, please open our eyes, enlighten our hearts, that we may see you better because of this morning and worship you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a bit of a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, you might not have heard of this one. It's an essay by, of his, well it was originally a talk, called The Inner Ring. And you can Google it, well worth reading the whole thing, but it's C.S. Lewis, The Inner Ring. He starts this way. There exist in any organisation two different systems or hierarchies. One is published publicly and anyone can read it up. It also remains constant. For example, in the army, a general is always superior to a colonel and a colonel to a captain. The other hierarchy is not printed anywhere. Nor is it even a formally organized secret society with officers and rules. You are never formally 
and explicitly admitted by anyone, you discover gradually, in almost indefinable ways, that it exists and that you are outside it. And then later, perhaps, that you are inside it. Again, still Lewis. You will have met this phenomenon of an inner ring. And I can assure you that in whatever hospital, inn of court, diocese, school, business or college you find yourself in, you will find the rings, these secondary unwritten systems. And if we've lived for longer than a couple of years, we know what Lewis is talking about, don't we? At school, there is the cool group, and everyone knows who is in and who is out. In universities, there's kind of multiple inner rings, because there's so many different kinds of cool. And at work, well, there's the person with the title of boss, and then there's the person who you go to if you really want to get something done. And even in churches, there can be inner rings, an in-group and an out-group. And that doesn't always necessarily go along with the titles, vicar, church warden, sides person. Even within a church, there can be multiple inner rings. And Lewis says this, he says, I believe that in the lives of all people at certain points, and in many people's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local inner ring and the terror of being left outside. And so are you an insider or are you an outsider? And if you think of yourself as an outsider, how does it feel? Well, here's another question for those this morning who would say, I'm a Christian. Do you feel like an insider or an outsider to Christianity? If you're a Christian, are you surprised that you're allowed to be a Christian? Or do you just kind of take it for granted? Because if you take it for granted that, well, I know, of course I'm a Christian then Paul's words might be something of a shock to us. Uh, Again with me, uh, or just listen along, verse 11. Paul writes, verse 11, Therefore remember, therefore remember that, and he goes on to say you were outside. Therefore remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time, before you became believers, you were separate from Christ. And so Paul is using the terms that the Jews themselves used to describe the insiders and the outsiders, the circumcision and the non-circumcision. One of the more awkward moments um, in my Bible study leading life was when I was taking a group of people through Genesis 17, uh, where circumcision is first introduced to Abraham. And uh, we had a Russian lady in the group, and I'd always say, anyone got any questions, anyone know what anything means? And uh, Anastasia went, Andrew, what is circumcision? At which point everyone else in the group looked at me exceptionally keenly. Um, But anyway, back to Ephesians 2. Um, And Paul wants these Ephesian Christians to remember five things. Verse 12, he says, Remember that at that time, i.e. before you were Christians, you were, one, separate from Christ. Two, 
excluded from citizenship in Israel. Three, foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Four, without hope. Five, without God. That is quite some list, isn't it? But actually, Paul is not stating five separate individual truths. He's stating one truth. You are separate. You are separate from Christ. And then giving them the reasons. You are separate from Christ because you were excluded from Israel. And the consequence was that they were without hope and without God in the world. Remember in chapter 1, we saw all the blessings are in Christ. All the blessings are in Christ. But here what Paul, writing to some Gentiles, some non-Jews, some uncircumcised peoples, what he wants them to remember is that the very reason they were separate from Christ was because they were separate from the Jews. Remember in the video, that kind of fence around the Jews, splitting off Jews from Gentiles. And so being separate from the Jews, there was no hope of them knowing God at all. It was only to the Jews that God had said, this is Deuteronomy 7, God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And so as Gentiles, they were not inheritors of that. They were excluded, foreigners. And to be really clear, Paul isn't saying to them, don't, don't forget you had second class status. He's saying, don't forget, you had no status there was Jewish and there was everybody else. If you weren't Jewish, you couldn't know God. And so unless this morning by birth you are an ethnic Jew, well then by birth you would have been excluded from citizenship, a foreigner, separate from Christ, without hope and without God. And so for us, I think sometimes we can be so used to Britain being a Christian country, so-called, perhaps once, is it still? That's up, you know, up for debate. You know, different people have different views. But whatever that is, remember, if you're a believer here today, it's not because you're English. And it's not because you're Nigerian, or Kenyan, or Ugandan, or Brazilian, or Barbadian, or French, or Iranian, or whatever it is. God doesn't love us because we're Anglicans. And also, God wouldn't love us if we were proudly non-denominational for that reason. God doesn't love us if we're teetotal or if we drink cool craft beer. God doesn't love us if we dress smartly. God doesn't love us if we dress casually because we dress smartly or casually. You and I have no claim in ourselves on God whatsoever. By rights, we are outsiders, no way in. And then we get verse 13, but now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus redrew the line between insiders and outsiders. Paul says to the Ephesians, you used to be on the outside and you could have never got in by yourselves, but now Jesus has redrawn the line. You see, Jesus didn't just die to get me as an individual or you as an individual into heaven. It, you can say, Jesus died for my sins. True. 
But that's not all that he did. He wanted us to be a people. Read with me verse 15, uh, second half of verse 15. Paul writes, God's purpose was to create in Christ one new humanity out of the two, out of the two Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus set aside the dividing wall of hostility in the world. That is the Old Testament law. The dividing wall of hostility was the Old Testament law that divided Jews on the inside from Gentiles on the outside. And Jesus set aside that dividing wall by completing it. He fulfilled the Old Testament law. He was the only man ever to fully obey the law. But then despite being the only man to ever fulfill the law, he then became the only man to ever take the full curse of the law. So he both fulfilled the law and then took the punishment that it deserved. Because you see, as humanity put Jesus to death on the cross, God was putting to death the hostility between Jews and Gentiles by taking away that barrier. As humanity put Jesus to death, God was putting to death the hostility between us and himself. God's wrath against our sin taken away by Jesus instead of needing to be taken by us. And as the old humanity put Jesus to death on the cross, God was reconciling one new humanity to himself, bringing anybody in to become ultimate insiders. God now deals with Jews and Gentiles as one new humanity, one new people, all of us included. And I don't know if you'll remember the, the two-verse summary of the whole book of Ephesians, Ephesians 3.10 until Ephesians 1.10. The church is the breaking into the world of God's cosmic project to unite all things in Christ. The church is the connection point between heaven and earth. The church is God's beachhead. He's established his base on earth in the church. The church is where God's invisible plan for the universe is made visible. And we get to be a part of it. And that is amazing. The church is not a means to an end. The church is the end of the means. The church is God's goal for all of creation. And so that means that even though naturally, by rights, by birth, in ourselves, we're on the outside, now we have been brought not only onto the inside, but God has made us the inside. So we were separate from Christ, but now, verse 19... You are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer outsiders, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Not only on the inside, but also heirs, members of God's household, members of his family. It's like we've not just been allowed into the gang, we've been able to move in to God's home. But also, we are the inside. We are now a temple for God. We are a temple for God. Verse 20, built 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in Jesus the whole building, that's us, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Jesus, you too, St. Helens, North Kensington, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. That's why I say we aren't just on the inside, we are the inside. In a sense, we are being built as a temple for God. Sometimes people you know, think that the church building is sort of the, the new, the replacement for the old temple. This is just a rain shelter. And on a morning like this, we are grateful for it. We, the people, you guys sitting in the pews, us, we are the church. And we are the new temple. And it's not just that the church, us, is like the temple in the Old Testament. It's not that the temple was really good, but then it got destroyed, and we're now a second-rate alternative to the temple. The church, because we are in Christ, the church is what the temple was always pointing towards. The temple was glorious. If you'd seen it, it would have taken your breath away. The church... Paul says, is more glorious. The temple was just a shadow. The church is the reality. John writes in Revelation 21, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city. That is the new Jerusalem when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, there'll be no temple because the church is there. We are there. We will be the temple. It doesn't always look like it, does it? It doesn't always feel like it. The church, us, we don't always look particularly glorious and we don't always feel particularly glorious. And that is why, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we need to keep praying for that spiritual sight. Praying to have the eyes of our hearts opened to see spiritual reality to see how wonderful it is that a group of diverse people such as us can be united in the Holy Spirit, made family in Christ. Well, coming back to where we started at the beginning, I said, if you feel like an outsider in life, what does it feel like? Because it doesn't feel nice, does it? It always feels unpleasant to be excluded I remember uh, when I was up at college uh, going, I was uh, on, on the way back from church, in fact. It was mid-afternoon, and I went back, and I knocked on my, friend, uh, my friend's door. I won't name him. Um, and as I looked through the window, I saw that there was a party going on. And his house isn't very big, so uh, when, then when the door was opened, I could see both into the lounge and the kitchen. I could see that there was a party going on, and I knew everybody at that party, and that I hadn't been invited. And it was quite painful. It didn't take long to realise that it was uh, the birthday party for his two-year-old son, um, and everyone there was a parent, also with little children, and as he explained to me later, in his mind it was actually a mercy not to have invited me, um, because he goes to far too many of those and doesn't enjoy them. And to their credit, they invited me in immediately, um, and when I said I couldn't, I had to rush on, they sent me away with a bit of cake with the bluest icing and the most smarties I've ever seen on a piece of cake, so credit to them. But in that moment of feeling excluded, it really hurts, doesn't it, to feel like 
we're on the outside. And at times, all of us will feel that way, put on the outside from a certain group or clique or team. And when we feel that way, we need to remember, if we are in Christ, then we are members of the only inner ring that really matters. If we are in Christ, we are the ultimate inside us. And when we see that, when the Spirit opens our eyes to see that, then we are freed from that controlling desire that Lewis spoke of. We're freed from that controlling desire to be inside the local ring and from the terror of being outside it. A couple of weeks ago, I used a quote from, um, from Knowing God, um, one of my favorite books, where J.I. Packer speaks of his friend, the academic, who's been excluded from advancement because of his stand for the gospel. And his comfort was, he was able to say in that moment, you know, my ambitions may be taken away, but it doesn't matter, for I have known God, and they haven't. It really helps when we need it. And I suspect that to live the faithful Christian life means that more often we will be pushed out of society's inner rings rather than being welcomed in them. But it doesn't matter, for we know God and whether or not they do. Now the danger is that might sound exclusive, might sound kind of holier than thou, well it doesn't matter, we can be happy in our little club, in a little holy huddle looking down on those outside. But if that truth, that Christ has welcomed us into his family, leads us to become a smug clique that looks down on everyone else, then we have completely failed to understand what Jesus has done in us. Because unlike other rings that might welcome us in because we went to the right school, or because we have the right accent, or we have the right skin colour, or because we earn enough, or because we're funny enough, or clever enough, or good-looking enough, Christ welcomes everyone. And so we got into this family, not because of anything in us, but only because of God's grace to us. And so far from making us turn in on ourselves, knowing that we are the only, knowing that we are inside the only ring that matters should empower us to reach out to others to welcome them in as well. See, I think often the reason that we fail to reach out is because we're scared that if we reach out to people with Christ, then those people will reject us and will be shut out of that circle that they're a part of. Often we fail to extend the invitation of Christ because we fear their rejection. But if we know that we're inside, then we know that we'd actually, we don't need their acceptance. If it goes wrong, it doesn't matter. To know that we are already accepted by God gives us the ability to be rejected by other people without feeling rejection because we know that we are inside with God. And so we must reach out because God wants a united people. He wants a diverse people. But he wants a people not united about being cool or uncool, old or young, Hispanic or Asian or black or white, socially awkward or socially confident. He wants a people united around Christ. He will go on to say in chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so we, 
welcome all. Because one day, Jesus will return. And on that day, all other rings will fade away in the brilliance of Jesus' glory. And Jesus' people who have come into the church, who have been perhaps the despised of the world, the rejected of the world, the outsiders in this world will be welcomed into the new world. Let's pray that we would hold that faith until the day that Jesus returns. And in the meantime, welcome others. Let's pray. Father, when we begin to think that there are reasons in us why we're accepted into your family, remind us that naturally, by rights, we are foreigners, excluded. We would not have been members of your people, but by grace, you sent Jesus into this world to die in our place, to break down the dividing walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between all peoples, and then to take away the hostility between you and us and to welcome us into your family. Father, when we feel weak or inadequate, remind us, we together are a temple for you. And when we feel like outsiders in this world, remind us that one day Jesus will return and welcome us into his perfect kingdom. And we pray this in his great name. Amen.